All right, welcome guys. This is The Road to Rescue, and I'm Sean Griffin. I'm joined here with uh, my co-host. Ken Heidelberg, how's it going, guys? Sean, I think you're still screen sharing there, buddy. Is it? Did it not pop off? Okay. There you go. Sweet. So yeah, um, we are, um, we're excited to be back for our second episode. Um, I had a great time last time, uh, last week. Uh, we were discussing just in, giving the preface to the show itself. We're going to be dis- dissecting all the fun things, all the details about the return of the Messiah and just how much the scriptures talk about it from start to finish, from Enoch all the way up to Revelation. It's, it's littered with it, isn't it, Ken? It is, man. And it's one of my favorite conversations to have. I love discussing and dissecting anything to do with the return of the Lord, because there's so many concepts and themes that just, you know, play an integral part on, on the day of the Lord. And so anyone who's passionate about discussing it, I'm brothers with you. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's uh, I think, you know, when you and I first met um, in some Facebook chat groups, you know, a few years back, I mean, this was like, I was always trying to get people to engage in this kind of conversation to dissect all the different references and the little nuances about the day of the Lord. And because I kept seeing it everywhere in the prophets, you know, and uh, there was even at one point I was just categorizing by the book, by each book, I was just going and counting all the verses that talked about the day of the Lord, you know, and, um, and just trying to categorize them for people so they can have as a resource. But uh, very few people truly caught on. I mean, very few people truly, you know, uh, enjoyed it, I guess I should say, as much as I do. So uh, I, was, I was glad to meet you, Ken. I was glad that we, we shared this similar interest and passion, not just for the word itself, but specifically for the return of the Messiah. And because a lot of times people, you know, especially coming out of uh, like mainstream church, we, we hear some classic phrases, right? Revelation 1, 7, every eye will see him. You know, the more for the one they pierce, First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16, right? He'll descend from heaven with a loud trumpet of God, uh, with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. Um, you know, you, you hear these these um, almost trite and cliched phrases because they've been used so much by pastors, but they're all they're all New Testament, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're probably going to quote those at some point, but the Old Testament, the prophets, and the apocryphals are layered everywhere with all these descriptions, the same descriptions that all the prophets match up, and they saw the same vision, but they just had slightly different ways of describing them. So I'm an aspiring writer in my personal life, and I love that because you're writing the same scene over and over and over again from a different viewpoint, giving you a little extra different information uh, with this next prophet, right? And he comes in and he gives you just a little snippet of a different angle that he's viewing it at. And he adds different details and it just, man, it unlocks so much fun context. And it just, uh, to me, it really, um, it, it puts your mind into the, you know, helps you get into the vision. So like when you read something like Enoch one, like we read last time, where it talks about him coming back with the Holy Ones, which is what Jude quoted, right? In verse, what, 14 of the epistle of Jude. Um, you can just, man, you're reading Enoch 1, but you're also thinking, oh yeah, and this is also Zephaniah 1. And this is also Joel 2 and 3. And this is also Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 30. And I, you know what I'm saying? And then like your mind just starts putting it all together. And uh, at least mine does. And I see a beautiful picture about the return of our Messiah. Yeah, man, it's like a mosaic. You know what I mean? It's, it's it is. <laughs> there's pieces scattered all throughout the word. And even if you tried, you you cannot get away from it. You really can't. And yeah. um, it's so, almost yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying this as a as a rule, but it's almost as that was one of the litmus tests for the prophets was at some point they had to talk about, you know, the return of the Messiah, the day returns. Um, 
what it's at some point the kingdom of God, right? Which is the concept of the return of the Messiah. And um, that's why we see it, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 30, right? Because there's, and as we're going to discuss in every different episode, we're going to hit a different angle of the, the return of the Messiah. So there's going to be an episode in the future where we're going to hit the angle of what happens and what starts the day of the return of the Lord, which is the first resurrection event and all the descriptions that go into that and how, you know, Moses is talking about that in Deuteronomy 30 and Leviticus 26. And I mean, like there's places where um, it's just, it's just layered in everywhere. And because these were prophets and they all had the same central message from the father. And I, I find it beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And it, it's our road to rescue, Sean. How can you not find it beautiful and, and have such a, you know, a zealous passion for it? And I think our goal or one of our goals with this show is to just incite a passion in the lives of other brothers and sisters out there, too, who may be maybe struggling with some of the concepts or having, you know, glimpses of understanding these concepts, but just can't put them together. Right. Yeah. So. But when when you do, man, when those when those puzzle pieces come together, the picture comes becomes so much more clear. Your joy and your passion for life and for what's to come at the resurrection on the day of the Lord is just, you know, that much more emphasized. Guys, if you've ever um, been excited about a movie that's going to come out, right, and especially with modern day blockbusters, right, they've they've it's almost its own well tuned craft to the point where they can they drop teasers periodically before the movie comes out. So you have an initial teaser that's a little bit. Then you have a, a second trailer that comes out and that's going to be a little bit more. It's a little longer than the first one. Then the third one comes out and it shows you stuff the other two didn't show you. So it gets you emotionally engaged into the story. So you're waiting for the big premiere of the full length movie. And uh, that's, in my opinion, that's what we get uh, throughout the scriptures leading all the way up to Revelation because Revelation is like the long trailer. Um, and I think that uh, it's amazing because when the full thing happens, uh, it's probably something we'll watch on Rewind in the millennium for, you know, probably every Sukkot or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sean, he, he isn't called the author and perfecter of our faith for nothing. Isn't that right? He is an author, right? You said you were an aspiring author. That's He's right. Like, he is the author. He makes things just, he sets the precedent for how a good book should be written. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely, he is definitely um, out, you know, just outdone any any other literary work on the face of the earth written by mankind by systematically giving this message to his prophets about the gospel, the kingdom of God that's coming back. That is, comes back obviously with the King, which is the Messiah, you know, and how that's going to change the world and actually what it, what it really does. And I, and I, I hope over the course of these episodes, people really start to understand the heart of this because what this really does guys, this a lot, this is what your heart, is just subconsciously yearned for since you were cognizant, since you were aware to acknowledge good and evil. And then you, you suddenly realize this is the fulfillment of righteousness on the earth by God himself. This is the answer to the question of where is he? What's going on? What, why is he, why is he not here right now? Why can't I feel reach out and touch him? Right. He's going, it's going to be a reality like that, but there's a purpose and there's a plan and it's all leading up for something. Right? It's not his, it's not his uh, desire that any should perish, but that all should be saved. Right. So, we have um, a masterful father who's an amazing author of our faith, who has systematically given us words of faith to believe in and built them up to us through his prophets over the years, men who gave their lives for these messages that we're getting to enjoy and study today. And so I think that when the fulfillment of this happens, it will be that, that piece of our emotional psyche, if you will, that just is finally fulfilled to say, you know what, this 
the 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 oppression of wickedness, the oppression of sinners is is removed from the face of the earth, and righteousness reigns, and people will rejoice, and your heart will feel glad. And I think that, um, and that's the message that we're we're you know repeating tonight. And I say repeating because we're just reading the prophet's words, right? <laughs> yeah, they knew it. They knew the message. They did. And it's it's a message that's been lost in translation and and uh, tradition and many years of of you know. Um, people sleeping. So we're hoping to wake up to, to the message that these prophets uh, understood full well. And uh, yeah, let's get into it, Sean. Okay, brother. Um, so this first part we're going to jump into is the book of Jubilees. And uh, Jubilees, I mean, man, we, we already, you and I both have studied this book pretty well. And um, I know Adam is just now dipping into this book um, because he's been, he's seen how quickly it lines up not just with Torah observance but also with you know prophecy and the, the prophets in general so what we're going to discuss tonight is from the angle of the creation itself and how when he re when messiah returns the creation is affected and um and specifically the sun moon stars and the firmament they're all affected and so we're just gonna um in our first segment we just want to lay the groundwork for that whole area basically this is so we want to remind folks of some of the um the descriptions of the firmament because this is uh <laughs> it's really important guys as a point of context for the entire story to know where the story takes place and so that's what we're going to read for you now okay so it's jubilees chapter two and um this first verse i want to look at is in verse four and it says and on the second day he created the firmament in the midst of the waters and the waters were divided on that day Half of them went up above and half of them went down below the firmament that was in the midst over the face of the whole earth. And this was the only work created on the second day. So, Ken, I mean, we've, what, I, what I think is fascinating about this is that you've got, um, we've got this introduction of a word we don't see very often in scripture. It's called the firmament. I'm going to read at the end of this, I'm going to read from Genesis as well. So we can actually get how Genesis defines the firmament. Okay, but what's interesting is this this particular passage in Jubilee says it was the only work done on the second day. And I know in, in our Honor of Kings show that we do, we talked about the firmament. I think it was like the first or second episode, and we dissected it pretty well because Enoch was having to deal with it, you know, in the book of Enoch. That's right. And so um, I think it's fascinating that there are, according to Enoch, there are multiple layers of the firmament. And as a result of this, um, it would help to know what that means. But help to know what is it what are we talking about when we actually talk about the firmament itself and so um so just real quick let me um i'm going to read out of second baruch or no let me go ahead and read out of genesis 1 and we're going to get a definition from genesis of that word we just saw in jubilees of what the firmament is so it's in genesis 1 verse 6 through 8 it says then god said let there be an, an expanse most translations especially the kjv will say the firmament let there be a firmament or an expanse the expanse is actually the greek uh concept that was translated back into English. Uh, it's it's all meaning the same thing. And when you look at the lexicon and let there be an expanse or a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the expanse, the firmament, and it separated the waters which were below the expanse, the firmament, from the waters which were above the expanse, the firmament. And it was so. So God called the firmament heaven. He called the expanse, the firmament thing, heaven. There was evening, there was morning, the second day. Ken, you don't know how many times I've tried in my life to express to people that that the word heaven has an actual definition. 
Yeah, I've, I've witnessed it. It's you've had you a see lot. me try, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like pulling teeth, isn't it? It's like uh, it's like you know Nerf darts bouncing off their brain, and it's like because we've been indoctrinated with this idea that that the heaven is an unseen realm that's that's we can't touch or see, an ethereal concept, you know, like maybe another dimension, even. Okay, yeah, exactly. But I don't see that anywhere in scripture. Um, Ken, I don't see it anywhere. No, I don't either, especially when I started to test the biblical model of creation a few years back, um, you know, wanting to take the word of God as literal as possible. And um, this concept of, of the firmament, I was never told about it growing up in church, or Sunday school, Bible college, nothing. It was always generically, you know, referred to as heaven. And as you said, like a wispy, you know, interdimensional place that's outside of our ever expanding universe that cannot you know, that's it's just so out of our understanding in terms of direction, we cannot fathom it. And that, you know, all the, the scripture the descriptions of the scriptures that refer to direction, you know, Yahweh being the most high and in, in the heavens. And, you know, those are all just poetic and nice sounding words for things that we can, can't understand. Yeah, I've heard him described as, uh, you know, it's not a literal word. It's just a like you said, a poetic word expressing the grandeur of God. Right. And don't get us wrong. God is the creator. Right. There is no greater grandeur, no greater honor, glory or magnificence. We understand that. But he gave us definitions of words. And that's what we have to define our terms when we read scripture and let scripture define our terms for us. And that's the most important part. We would like to encourage folks when looking at stuff like this. So just real quick, um, I wanted to bring up a. Um, let me see here. I wanted to pull up just a quick little. A quick little thing um, just to show that there is the word firmament itself is a fascinating a concept. I mean, it's literally considered to be a structure by the people who wrote the lexicon. So, I mean, that's to me, that's something important, right? Yeah, many intellectual um, scholars will, will admit that it's a structure that the Hebrews and the ancient Near Eastern cultures had a, a concept of it being a literal structure that was hard and separated waters from, you know, above and below. So even though we don't really see that too much these days, Sean, right, in terms of scholarship, um, a lot of them want to kind of move away from that, that concept and rely on other methods that would inform them as to what this could mean. Yeah. It, well, they'll just basically using a, um, uh, a, a different definition of the expanse of, of this concept of heaven. Right. So, because what, what did it tell us in Genesis one, six, you know, the same thing in Jubilees two, eight, that we just read that it divided something that it was a, it was something that divided waters above from waters below. We read the rest of that is in Genesis one, where it says the waters below the firmament receded down. So the dry land could appear. Um, so that's a different right off the bat. That's a different model than the one that I, I was taught growing up, which was a, a, a ball model of, of the earth with water on the outside and nothing separating the openness of a perfect vacuum of space. Right. And yeah. so therefore this water supposedly, I guess, fulfilled, you know, covered all the mountains and was just a big ball of water in space. And then suddenly, I guess, what, it went into the earth. I, I don't know, because if it evaporated out into the concept of space, which what we should see with the second law of thermodynamics, then it wouldn't have receded. Right. It, it would have went the other way. But, you know, again, what I'm saying is there's directional terms used in this description yeah. of Genesis 1. And it's telling us the water below the firmament 
what was called the firmament it actually receded so the dry land could appear. So right off the bat, we have literal words with directional motion. And that's very important, in my opinion. That's just, that's, we yeah, got to take it seriously. Exactly. And I've heard concepts, you know, of canopy theories, right? Where there was a canopy of water above that kind of circumvented the earth. And then at the flood, it just burst and fell down and that's it. But that really doesn't help us understand when David said that says that there's still water above the firmament, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's day, right. Which is many years after flood. So yeah, that, that ice canopy theory never, never set well with me. So I was glad the father opened my eyes to the actual definition of the firmament. And let's look at that real quick right now, because the firmament itself, it shows that uh, an exhaustive concordance from the NAS calls it extended surface. Uh, Brown driver Briggs calls it uh, regarded by as the Hebrews as solid supporting waters above it. And then Strong's is from the root word raka in the Hebrew and properly in expanse and the firmament are apparently the visible arch of the sky. And then here we have in Genesis 1, 14 through 20, it's used four times connecting it directly to the firmament. So it's called the firmament of heaven. You know, Genesis 1, 14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. Uh, he says it four times as I circled in red here. Now, this idea is that you've just had the introduction of a concept which is something separating waters above and below and then in context as it's using that now in the rest of the story it's relating it because it defined it in, in verse 8 and it says he called that firmament heaven he called that expanse thing heaven right and by the way exactly. if i'm not mistaken in the hebrew um i think the word heaven is shomayim and yep. the word mayim is the word for waters in, yeah i always thought that was weird john yeah have waters implied right into right. the and know. so I've heard the word show my aim translated as a covering of waters which is a perfect description for what we see explained to us in Genesis 1 for the firmament yeah. because it's supporting waters above it right now here we have in the following verses down 14 to 20 it talks about the firmament of the heaven and there's you know that one little place where it says in verse 19 how the birds flew through the panim which is the face the open air the open firmament and that's the only time in Genesis 1 where it calls it an open firmament. Okay, so that means that it's not closed. <laughs> so it's the open where the birds fly. So we have that contextual reference. It's what we would generically call our sky, right? That's right. So he's, you know, the, you have the birds flying above in the open firmament, <laughs> whereas the rest of it is encapsulated and closed off. Um, and of course, we see in, you know, later chapters like during the flood that it actually has floodgates to it. So this is an actual structure we're dealing with. This isn't just... Uh, a random term. This is a literal structure that is important for, in my opinion, it's very important for us to under, to grasp the reality of this structure for our overall setting. So, because the rest of the story, this is only Genesis one. The rest of the story is taking place inside this setting. So, if, yeah. you, if you, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, I agree, man. It's if if you don't have a good grasp, this is what I tell people, and you know, it depending on who I'm telling, it can rub the wrong way or people are very receptive to it. But I, I always, I'm now asserting that if you don't have a good solid grasp on the biblical creation model, um, you're not going to quite get a hold of eschatology, you know, end times study and That's all right. the descriptions of, you know, the return of our Messiah, our, the road to rescue. So it, it just does nothing but good um, in terms of understanding the biblical creation model and taking it literally. That's right, man. That's right. Um, what's, uh, uh, did you have something out of Ezra's that you found? Yes, I do. Yep. 
did you want to read from second Baruch first you have uh oh i can i can add that on a little bit later okay sure yeah i have uh, a reference here from second ezra 641 and it says again on the second day thou didst create the spirit of the firmament and didst command him to divide and separate the waters that one part might move upward and the other part remain beneath so here we have you know veneration of um jubilees 2 4 and genesis chapter one where it talks about that there's a, a firmament that he created on the second day and its purpose is to divide waters waters from above and below yep uh, it, it's interesting how it's termed here though sean it, it talks about it being uh, the spirit of the firmament mm. And did command him to divide and separate the waters. It's just interesting how it's how it's termed. Yeah, almost that's... sounds like a living structure. Well, if Psalm one fifty calls it the firmament of power, and uh, we know that the Holy Spirit is power, so yeah, there's this is a that maybe a little bit of a tangent study that I'd love to get into some night, but <laughs> uh, because to me it's not. There's a unique reference in Revelation twenty two where it says the Spirit and the Bride say come. So, and then we start to look at the material that the new Jerusalem is made of and it's the firmament. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, is, I think yeah. that's very, very interesting guys. And there's a lot of application we're going to go through in different episodes. So stick around guys. There's just so much fun stuff in here. A lot of yeah. fun. And if you guys have questions along the way, please throw them into the, uh, the comments there in the chat. Yeah. We're going to try to, um, we're going to try to monitor it as we go. It's, we just get so caught up in the, in the conversation itself with the scriptures that we sometimes forget to look at the chat. Yeah. Sean, I've so, got a, a second reference here out of the same book in Second Ezra as I can just uh, yeah, sure, go real quick since we're there. Skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 57. It says, right. It is he who searches the deep and its treasures, who has measured the sea and its contents, who has enclosed the sea in the midst of the waters, and by his word has suspended the earth over the water, who has spread out the firmament like an arch and founded it upon the waters. So here we have a um, like an arch. What? Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting word to use, right? That is that is In my mind when I think of this. Just reading it plainly, yeah. my mind thinks of an arch. You know, <laughs> that's right, right? Because well, what did we just? Uh what what did we just read in from the concordance right the strongest concordance here at the bottom it says yeah, like the a visible arch of the sky so it seems like second esdras would almost agree with you right that's right yeah it's pretty wild so um or he agrees yeah he agrees with uh, the concordance yeah, the, for sure. <laughs> the concordance yeah the yeah. concordance is uh is in alignment with what the prophets are saying yeah um, and he found and he found it upon the waters you found it. The, the firmament is what you're talking about. Yeah, you found yeah. yeah. And I think I'm not sure which um which prophet references the firmament being fastly um, attached to the circle of the earth. You know which which reference that is. Um, is it is it Amos? I can't remember where. Yeah, it was. Like Amos nine six. I want to say. Yeah. Or or Amos two. So yeah, Amos nine six. Yeah, when we keep that in mind, um, along with this arch picture this visual in our heads it, it, it the way i would picture it is almost like a snow globe right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's attached well that's where some of the some of the translations in amos 9 6 calls it the dome of the dome of the earth the dome over the earth i should say yeah. so uh you know it, to me 
what what the thing that really stuck out to me a few years ago when I read this, um, it made me think, okay, wait a minute. Suddenly, all these descriptions that never made any sense to me, suddenly they're making some sense to me. Okay, so how in the world could there be waters above the heavens if the heaven was just an open space? If the heaven was, because I've been told, you know, like a, a concept that heaven, well, you know, there's three layers of heaven. The first one is the sky, the second one's outer space, and the third one is a realm we've never seen. It's called the third heaven. Um, and that, and people will allude to saying, like, that's what Paul talked about. But Enoch tells a very different story. Um, Apocalypse of Abraham tells a very different story. Many of these passages we're reading here it gives us a very, Genesis 1 itself tells a very different story of the actual you know, shape and, and uh, outlay from the very beginning when he's making everything. And this was the first on day one. I mean, or excuse me, day two. This was the first seemingly physical structure made of all of creation. Right. Uh, so yeah. I think that that's fascinating um, because it would make sense. If you're making a house, you need to build that skeleton frame first. Right. That's right. You need the foundation. Right. Yeah. So um, and that's where it seems like there is uh, multiple layers to this firmament. And we actually read that in Deuteronomy 1014 where it says that Yahweh is the most high and the highest heaven, you know, so it's uh, the highest heaven. Remember that word is firmament. So here, Ken, this is why I jokingly call myself the fundamentalist because I love this, this concept. The moment that we get this, this in uh, definition for us in Genesis one then every time, every time throughout the old Testament, and new Testament that I see this word heaven, I have to remind myself, no, wait a minute. It gave me the definition of that word. What is it? And what's the context used, right? Because that's at one right. point in Genesis 1, it calls it something that supports something. So that's a solid structure. And the other, another time in Genesis uh, 1.19, it says there's an open firmament, which is where the birds fly. So then I understand that's within the encasement of it in the space underneath it, so to speak, right? Where the waters receded. So that's how I know that there's context immediately being spoken about the firmament, which was this word heaven, Okay. And that's where going forward, I have to then remind myself every time I see this word used, what's the context? Because I know the general premise. It's a structure. Is it talking about above the structure, the structure itself, the encasement of the structure, the open area below the bottom of the structure, different levels of the structure? But ultimately, I should know it's a structure. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's, exactly. That's all it is. It's not a galaxy. It's not a... a uh, yeah. An unknowable, unmeasurable amount of dark matter, which is, oh man, don't get me started on dark matter. I know, so, some of these theories, man, they're getting yeah, wilder like, as the day goes on. Our creator gave us a book with the words in it, and it's very simple. And it's and it just breaks it down in, in very realistic terms and a very practical model that anyone can build. And you can yeah. test, you can test this model. Yeah. And it works with all chemistry and physics. It works. So anyway. Um, yeah, Sean, I've heard it, I've heard it said that um if you were isolated on an island and you had no indoctrination, you were under no denominational branch, you had no access to any scientific research, nothing, but you had the scriptures and you knew how to read. If you read the scriptures and were trying to discern the biblical creation model without any of the outside distractions and, and noise, how would you create that picture, that visual in your mind? That's the, to me, that's imperative that we as believers do that. We remove ourselves from that and try to understand the best way possible to understand, you know, what it is that he created our home to be. And if anything, we should re always resort back to what, you know, the Hebrews believed and what the writers of the books themselves believed, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 
You know, this this whole concept as in our modern culture and many, many viewers watching this will understand what I'm about to say. And then the analogy I'm about to say, we run into a our entire culture has, you know, pick any country, almost any country, I should say. Most most uh, first world countries have an educational system that has taught us a creation model that is not described in Genesis one. So therefore, we're going through the Bible with the wrong starting mental mental image, trying to figure out the things that are being referenced here. But what it's what it feels like sometimes, even amongst believers, is that when you're trying to ask them to explain the firmament from Scripture, they're coming at you. They won't address it with Scripture. They're just coming at you with tons and tons of knowledge that was gained from you know the the state funded government educational systems, right? Which was agreed upon by someone who does not use the same descriptions and words that we're given in the Bible. In many cases, it's like the main proponents of a different model are from people that don't even believe in the God of the Bible. That's right. So this is a bigger issue here than just saying, oh, we have a different interpretation of what you think that word means. And that's, of course, if we're going to just ignore the actual definitions of the words given by both the context and the concordances. And then so, so people want to jump off and do, oh, well, that's just your interpretation. Well, if that's so, why should I believe someone else's interpretation that that is the opposite of all this? And that someone else, by the way, they don't even believe in the God I believe in. They're not even trying to follow out his ways, much less consider the words through his prophets as valid and applicable for training in righteousness in my life. So why would I even consider that model? Well, the reason we do that is because we were told it to before we had critical thinking skills when we were four and five years old. We received that model as a kid. We didn't receive it while we were an adult when we could actually ration it out with critique and actually look at it logically. Nor did we have enough wherewithal to compare it to the words of the creator and see if they line up. So therefore, we just come along believing this thing the whole time. So what it feels like to me, it's like Moses at the Red Sea. Sometimes Christians, when they run to the firm, they see this concept of the firm in scripture and they start to realize, oh, my gosh, it's. Not only is it described in the beginning, but it's being used in various places and various stories. And the Messiah actually speaks about it and uses it as his return. <laughs> the same description from Genesis 1. And it's like Moses standing at the Red Sea, but in the Red the Sea would be, before it parted, would be all the indoctrination of the world. But Father's just telling the Israelites, don't fear, I got you. I got you. Watch what's going to happen. All you got to do is believe the words I'm going to tell you. And boom, all that indoctrination will part away. And that's what it did for me. And I just... I just hope that people can really come away from this episode with that idea. But um, if yeah, real quick, amen. amen. I just want to read from uh, Baruch real quick, man. It's the Apocalypse of Baruch. It talks about this as well. This is in chapter 21, and it says uh, in verses 1 through 6, and it says, And I went there and sat in the valley of Kidron in the cave of the earth. I sanctified my soul there, and I ate no bread. Yet I was not hungry, and I drank no water. Yet I thirsted not. And I was there till the seventh day, as he commanded me. And afterwards, I came to that place where he had spoken with me. And it came to pass at sunset that my soul took much thought. And I began to speak in the presence of the mighty one and said, O oh, you that have made the earth, hear me. You that have fixed the firmament by the word and have made firm the height of the heaven by the spirit. You that have called from the beginning of the world that which did not exist and they obey you. You that have commanded the air by your nod and you have seen those things which are to be as those things which you are doing. You that rule with great thought the hosts that stand before you, all the countless holy, be holy beings, which you did make from the beginning of flame and fire, which stand around your throne, you rule with indignation. That's so cool. I love that awesome? passage. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about it so much, verse uh, four, 
um, where it talks about, you, you know, you fix the firm by the word and you have made firm the height of the heaven. So he's speaking about the firmament twice. He's it's, This is what we would call expounding. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, so he, he mentioned the firmament first, but then he uses the other word that we get from Genesis 1, 6, 8, with 6 through 8, where it's named heaven. And he uses that and he calls it the height of the heaven, which is an, a reference back to the shape of the firmament. So it's just amazing. And of course, what I love about it is the next verse in five, it says, you commanded the air by your nod. So this even gives us a distinction in this passage that it's, it's not calling. So it's talking about the height of the firmament in the heaven. It says the firmament was fixed firm. And then it says the, the heaven had a height to it. And then he talks about the air by your nod, right? So it's, it's you know, contrasting these different ideas. Yeah, these adjectives are there for a reason, Sean. They're not, yeah. they're not there just to mislead us. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I'm describing to you what this is. Pay attention. <laughs> yes. Language 101. And here's, and there's a crazier part, man. I love the way you just said that, right? He's describing it to us. Pay attention. So Genesis 1. We're reading, out of, we're reading this concept out of Genesis 1 about the firmament. Do we think that this is important information? Should we pay attention to this? Like, so like if I'm prioritizing as a writer and I want to, I want to introduce something, you know, anyone that would go to Barnes and Nobles and they'd buy a book, you may buy, you, you bring the book or maybe you download it to your Kindle or whatever, but you're going to read the book. And usually the first few chapters, the author has a task to give you the setting that this thing is going to take place in. Yeah. The whole, the whole story. He's going to describe the room that this guy's in, that the, the event's going to take place. It's going to be a major plot point, or he's going to describe the world of which all these characters are interacting in. And that's what we get from the greatest author ever in Genesis one priorities. Got to show them the setting that this whole story is about to take place in so they can understand and have the context of the atmosphere. Otherwise they're going to come up with all kinds of wild interpretations and have 40,000 nominations. <laughs> so, yeah, and it sounds like today's reality, Sean, this is exactly what happened, right? The moment that this concept and the last three, 400 years started creeping in, through certain veins of denominations, many of that whom Ken and I do not agree with. And they started trying to reinterpret Genesis 1 and what it means. In fact, I made a, a silly meme several years ago where it's, it just has a picture of Copernicus's face and it says, uh, causing people to misread Genesis since 1512. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's that's because that's it's basically sad, what he, but true. It's true. Like they yeah. just basically, they took Genesis and they just threw it to the side and they say, all right, let's come up with a different description. And it doesn't match. But yet that was the one that was propagated and tweaked and propagated and tweaked and then put it down in the textbooks and taught to children. So it's like, you know, that's where I, I'm just trying to go back to the words of the Bible, you know. Yeah, as um, we all should, Sean. That should be anyone who takes the word of God seriously and their, you know, their faith walk. They should they should be doing that. Absolutely, man. I, I, they need to be taught that it's an important thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, because it's it hits the information he gave us from the beginning, literally in Genesis, you know, the beginning, right? So it's, um, and I think, to Sean, me, Sean, I think that there are people that are starving for this that don't even know about it yet, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I've seen. I remember many times in church, the various churches I've been to, people nodding off, you know, several different heads hitting off the front of the pew. It's like. But then you talk to them afterwards and they have a passion for life and they, they you know, they want to press in and understand God's word more. And, and it's just <laughs> people are starving, man. They really are. They are, man. The first time I the, the firmer made sense to me 
you know, it was like that moment in the matrix where he's just getting uploaded in the back of his cerebellum with like all kinds of information. And he's like, Oh, I know Kung Fu. Like, man, all the scriptures started flooding my mind just, and, and it started to make sense. Suddenly stuff I questioned for years. Suddenly I was had that, was that when you became the firmamentalist, Sean? <laughs> that, that was the beginning like, of oh, I know the, yes. the, the beginning of the transformation into firmamentalism. <laughs> I just, I just butchered that Keanu Reeves, uh, vocal there but it's okay it's all right it's, i mean i never tried to do a keanu reeves but um yeah. just because i'm not hawaiian or a slow talker but whatever yeah so sean i was gonna touch base real quick on genesis 1 14 we kind of already um went there previously but it just says oh. and god said let the let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Um, so there we go. We have the firmament of the heaven. Right. And we have lights that are in the firmament of the heaven. So, so now, now, I know you described earlier that the birds fly over the open face of the firmament, right? But this is a, di a different description. Am I right, Sean? Yeah. Now, now we've got um, an application from the definition we just received, right? Which is now that the, in the firmament, there's there's objects, there's the luminaries to give yeah, light upon Enoch. the earth, seasons. You want to learn about those those luminaries, guys? Enoch is your man. Yeah, he definitely he got the full tour on the on the luminaries. I so that he did. Yeah, what's fascinating to me is that some um, some people have thought that the luminaries being described in Genesis one have been placed inside the open firmament. So underneath the arch where, where it said the birds fly in the open firmament, I disagree personally. And that's because that's why I mentioned earlier about Deuteronomy 10, 14. And there's many other passages where it talks about the, the um, multiple layers of the firmament, right? So there's a height and the apocryphal books as well. Talk about the multiple layers of the firmament and that um, I can't remember which one right now, but I, um, I want to say it's, if it's not Enoch, it's the apocryphal of Abraham, but it talks about how the sun is in the fifth layer of the firmament. Yeah, that's Abraham. And that's, um, yeah, and that's basically, which is why, you know, and of course, if the firmament, you know, in my opinion, from all my study, it's it's a crystalline substance that's made of like sapphire, basically. And that's why it's incredibly strong, great with sound reflectivity. It's great with light acuity, um, just so that that's that's it gives us the reality that we have today as the light shines in through it. Um, it's magnified and it's basically a, a huge magnifying glass for the father to look down on us. And look at us like grasshoppers, as Isaiah 40 talks about. Yeah. So like an iron molten way. glass. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's that's kind of and and what tonight we're not really touching on um on the this quote unquote science of the firmament. We're just gonna be touching on the applications of the firmament leading up to the Messiah's return. And this is the mention here where the sun, moon, and luminary stars they're placed into the firmament itself, which I would would say would be in the waters above. And that's that's kind of how I glean from that. What do you think, Ken? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, Sean. I mean, when I first started studying this whole concept, though, I subscribed to what you would probably traditionally seen see on like YouTube videos and stuff, where you would see like a you know a dome and a circular Earth, and this and then the sun, and the moon, kind of underneath the dome doing a, a circuit, right? Yeah, there's problems with that for for various reasons that I don't think we're going to get into tonight. But yeah, that's yeah, just a great I mean, artist depiction, but it's not very accurate. It gives you a good, a good idea, you know, of a different model, the creation model, but it's not entirely drawn to scale, nor is it accurate. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that it's on the other side of the firmament above us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Personally, I believe if it was if it was below the firmament, <laughs> the enemy would have already tried to extinguish it or destroy the sun and moon. Yeah. Because the father has an actual covenant with them. So they're yeah. they're never going away. That's right. They may be darkened on the day of the Lord, and as we're going to read about that in a minute, but they're never actually going away. So, and I know a lot of people may be knee jerking right now, thinking, "But Revelation twenty one, it says inside the city, there's no need for the sun or moon." That's right, but that's inside the city. That's not the city doesn't encompass the entire circle of the earth and all the square footage of the earth itself. And the mortals outside of the city that need the sun, moon, and stars for signs and seasons, right? So they know when they can keep the feast days and the Sabbaths and things like that. So exactly, yeah. I mean, there's a reason for it, and that again, this whole thing you know, we have to remember. When he finished making everything for the six days, he said it was good. Like he he didn't make something bad. <laughs> he said it was good. And I would contend, you know, even to the point of the the Garden of Eden that he planted down in the land, um, which comes back as a new Jerusalem. And that's a whole other video we can get into at a different time. But um, all the research I've done on that. But it's just um, I, th I think that there's a reason he created everything and called it good from the beginning because it. It's not going to get any better. He's just going to, it's just being degraded and destroyed through lawlessness and wickedness of the enemy and the failures of mankind allowing, you know, the enemy to, uh, to destroy the creation as revelation 11 says, but that's one of the reasons when he comes back is to heal the creation. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the indicators that we know the day of the Lord has not happened yet, even though that's, some will yes. surmise that that's not the case. Right. <laughs> All right. So, hey, um, I'm going to read real quick, you know, um, Haggai chapter two is a really fun little excerpt. It talks about the ferment and stuff, but it talks about the application, if you will, of things that are happening um, on the day of the Lord pertaining to the ferment. So I'm just going to read real quick. It's Haggai chapter two for those following along verses 20 through 22. And it says, then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will throw I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down every one by the sword of another. Um so here we have a wonderful uh mention of the day of the Lord where he's going to actually shake the heavens and the earth. That's right. And so we just uh, yeah, I'm sorry to belabor the point a little bit but we just gave our definition for the word heaven, right? Yes, we did, Sean. What was that? The firmament, correct? <laughs> it was the firmament. A hard structure, a literal hard yeah. structure. Now, in the English, we see the the word, the S put on the end of the heaven, and it calls it heavens, and it makes it a plural. So just hope, um, in case anyone's never looked up the word in Hebrew, it's the word heavens is shomayim. Okay, so the when usually when you add an I-M to the end of a Hebrew word, it's going to make it a plural. And so the Shomayim is a plural word, meaning the heavens. So sometimes the translators and here again, like we've always like we we run into this often in our other show, Honor of Kings, don't we, Kim, where we, we see the translators don't understand the context. And so the word they translate seems a little it's not like they missed the, the idea, but it's just like the word doesn't quite fit. And that's why they'll put it in parentheses because they're kind of guessing almost. That's right. You know? Yeah. So they may whenever be really good at language and discerning language, but right. discerning context is a, is a different you know, beast to tackle. Exactly. Yeah. So they may see the, the lexiconical definition of the word Shomayim is a plural word of heavens. But whenever they run into the Hebrew text and it's used every single time, do they know if it's talking about the multiple layers of the heavens, no matter which model you're ascribing to, right? Whether a biblical creation model or a heliocentric model and, and their definition of the three heavens, they, the, the translators don't know. 
So many times you'll see very unique passages where they leave the S off and then sometimes they put the S on there and you're like, well, wait, is it one heaven or multiple heavens? You know, and that's where, again, I would say the translator doesn't know because he it's a, it's a plural word to begin with. Same thing with the Greek in the New Testament. It's the word aranos. And that is just a, it's a, a plural word. So when you see, you know, Revelation 6, 14, you know, they split the heavens open. You're like, wait a minute. Is that one layer, two layers? What's going on there? And so I think that we just need to keep this stuff in mind. The, and the reason the word heavens is multiple is a plural word because there's multiple layers. Yeah, Sean, and I, this is a related side. Um, we I know we discussed this in uh, previous episodes on our other channel there, but I'd speculate that on day one, right at the beginning, Yahweh created his heavens, the, the firmaments where he resides, along with the glorious angels for them to be, you know, able to inhabit a structure just like we do. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, um, we talked about this. That's right. So you're going off Genesis 1, 1, 1, so, 1. And then I think second Ezra's as well as Baruch talk about yeah. on day one, I, I created the heavens and the earth and it mentions day one specifically. So it leads me to believe that. You're saying, and so you concluded that that's how we have the dry land that appears once the water recedes because it was already there. That's right. So, so basically, in the in you're saying like um, in the Genesis one uh, on day one where it says he made the light divide the light from the darkness, but in the Genesis one one statement where it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you're saying that he made his place where he and the angels are because Jubilees tells us the angels were also made on day one. That's right. And then you're saying he made the unformed heaven and all the water that it was, or excuse me, the unformed uh, earth, the soil, if you will, the land and all the water it's sitting in, but it was still flooded. And so therefore he created the firmament that on we do yeah. on day two, the one that applies to us, that firmament on day two, the waters receded, the dry land appeared. And that's how that's jumps us into the time frame of things applicable to us in our, in our livable space. That's right. That, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, so that's, that's just that's what I think. I think it makes logical sense, especially when you take jubilees into account, and it, you know what it has to say about the creation. Um, yeah. The angels have to go somewhere, right? All the spirits that were created on day one, they had to go somewhere, and it says that on day one the heavens were created as well. So, yeah, and we've get you know Moses on Mount Sinai was shown a pattern of the tabernacle in heaven, the one that God had, you know has, and he was making things that were on the tabernacle on the ground after the pattern in the heaven. So when was that made? The things he was copying that were above, when was that made? It doesn't tell us unless yeah. it's what you're referring to, Ken. And that's a great theory, man. I mean, that's that's very interesting. So, um, yeah, that's there's so much to this, man. It gives you so much context. Um, yeah, and earlier on in Haggai, too, I mean, you just read from Haggai. It, it mentions in chapter 7 pretty much the same thing, or, or uh, verse 7, I will shake the, all the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill. Oh, sorry. Is it... Uh... Sorry, verse six, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the dry land. And that's, he later you know, expounds upon that in the verses that you just read. But Haggai for sure knew about this. Yeah, and speaking of shaking, um, there's a reason that it's, sh it's sh being shook, right? And that's, um, let me go to it real quick. That's what we read in in, uh, in Revelation. Um, it's, it's Revelation 6. And it actually bleeds into Revelation 16. 
And this is where in, in all my research and in my, I'm just gonna throw this out there, my opinion, these two things are, are connected to each other. Okay. So let me just read uh, chapter six real quick, or just this part in chapter six, and then I'll jump over to chapter 16 and explain from chapter 38 of Ezekiel. Sounds so good. this is, um, and the stars fell to the sky. This is in verse 13, Revelation 6, 13. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. So right there we have this, the thing that's holding the stars is split, right? It's being rolled back like a scroll. Rolled back like a scroll. Mind, what that would look like. We just read in Genesis 1, 1 that, that the firmament sports waters above it and that in that firmament structure, not the open part, but the closed part is where the sun, moon, and stars were placed. And now we get the application of that on the day of the Lord when he's coming back and he rolls back that, that sky, that firmament, right? And he drops and the stars start dropping down to the ground. And, uh, and we get the concept that because of it, all, every mountain and island are moved out of their places. Because as we already talked about, this firmament's connected to the earth, right, Ken? Yeah, sure is, Sean. And <laughs> it's funny, I've seen people completely mangle the scriptures you just read to uphold their heliocentric understanding of creation. Um, essentially, they have to chalk the book of Revelation up to just like this cryptic, um, poetic, non-literal mishmash of, of weird eschatology. And it, it, it just, because you know, if, if we go off of what we know it stars to be through our scientific explanation of them today, this there's no way this blue marble that we live on would survive. Right. right? Yeah. Not one star, you know, yeah. <laughs> let alone many stars falling down. So, yeah. And that's, and this is why we, I mean, I didn't even include this in the slides, but there is a, um, there's a place in Jubilees chapter 19 where it talks about the luminaries have to be renewed. And that's, that's because apparently some of them fall to the ground during like a fig tree, right? So this is a pretty interesting little analogy, little metaphor, like the fig tree shaken by great wind and, and the figs would fall to the ground. Same thing, firmaments rolled open, stars fall to the ground. Every mountain and islands move out of its place because there's a massive earthquake happening. And that's the scriptures I'm going to read right here in Revelation 16. Um, it says in verse 17, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And, and then it goes on to say Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each came down from heaven. What was that word? Heaven, the firmament <laughs> came down from heaven upon men and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, because it was, this plague was extremely severe. So yeah. this is where I would say, you know, this is the day, this is the moment he's coming back guys, because this massive city and the cities in verse 19, the cities of the nations fell. And then we also have this in Isaiah 25 as well. Um, talking about all the cities falling, all the towers falling across the earth. And this is where um, I'm just, to me, this is like if the firmament's attached to the ground as a part of the creation model and you you mess that thing up and you, you roll that back like a scroll or you just rip it open in some in some way. Like Isaiah 64, 1, it says, you know, rend the heavens and come down. It's Isaiah pleading with God to come 
please come, right? Get rid of the wicked. And he says, rend the heavens and come down. It's an allusion to what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. Isaiah wasn't confused. He has lots of, we're going to even read about more about what he understood about the day of the Lord. But the, the imagery is there to rip, to rend the heavens and come down. And, you know, you don't do that with air. You don't do, there's no dimensionality, third dimension or interdimensionality happening. This is a literal structure that's being ripped open. And as a result, whatever was above it is now falling down, um, at least in that place that it's being ripped open. Yeah. And, and there's a massive earthquake. That's right, because it's attached to our that's earth right. plane. It's all one system. Yeah. So, you know, like if I was standing in my room and something took the roof off my house, I would feel the vibrations, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that's what happens with an actual earthquake, <laughs> by the Islands way. Islands would flee away and mountains that's would right. be turning on topsy-turvy. Yeah, it's you're wrecking the place. It's it's yeah the whole thing is being being destroyed. But it, it needs to be. It really needs to be. So then, if I can real quick, I'll jump back to Ezekiel thirty-eight, and then we're going to look at uh, a very similar description about this with a little bit different slant. And I just man, guys, if yeah, if y'all haven't dug into Ezekiel, I just encourage you dig in. It's an amazing book. And once you see how much references there are to the, right. the king, the gospel, the kingdom of God that's going to come, and then you know the uh, all the components from chapters 36 leading through 48, all the components involved. I mean, it's just a massive amount of text that gives us insight into what's going to happen on the day of the Lord leading to the kingdom come. And it's a beautiful, beautiful message. Uh, here in Ezekiel 36, for those who are following along, I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 23. And it says, Thus says the Lord God, Are you the one of whom I spoke in former days to my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years, that... I would bring you against them. It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger, in my zeal, and in my blazing wrath. I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, all the creepy things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. Every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for the sword against him on my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and his troops and the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hellstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So it sounds like just like what we read in, in Revelation 16, but we get a little bit more. This one's actually talking about how him he's dealing with the Antichrist, in my opinion, which it, why is it refers to as Gog and him. Um, and also we get that the fish, the birds, the beasts, all the creepy things, and all men are going to feel this earthquake, which is why the mountains are falling. And any wall, any tower, as Isaiah 25 talks about, everything on the earth, all the cities are crumbling. <laughs> yeah. So this They're is going a, Jericho style. <laughs> this this is a literal etch-a-sketch happening, guys. Etch-a-sketch, right? You do the stupid drawings with the knobs, and then you shake it off, and then you can have a fresh slate. God is coming back, and when he opens a firmament, in my opinion, the, all the, the cities that were built with all their pagan idolatry and, and uh, their buildings that, that are pointing toward false gods and all the things, I mean, that's a whole other separate show about the architecture and the cities of this world. All that stuff's coming down. And, uh, and what is going to actually come down behind him is the New Jerusalem. So that's, um, that's why he's got to open the firmament, by the way. So, Amen, man. Talk about a grand entrance, eh, Sean? I mean, it's it's, it's the grandest. Right <laughs> at the end there, it's like yeah, everyone will know. 
Everybody. They will know that I am Yahweh when I come down. You're going to know. You're going to know. And that's <laughs> and that's the part that gets me when people are like, oh, he's already come back. And it was in 8070. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> How in the world do we do we arrive at that conclusion when we have all these descriptions of his return? And of course, the bigger ones, which says his his kingdom reigns forever. It's not going away. And I'm just like, how in the world do we get the fact that people think he's already come back? Um, so, but yeah, hey, teach, yeah. we we deal with people with love and patience, and we that's the point that's of right. being uh, you know studied and approved in the word, so that you can rightly divide and help share with others to train them up and edify them. Um, and so we do our best, and you know, and I've I've had to exercise patience a lot when I run into folks that they they know slivers, and they've made entire theologies off of slivers of the word. And they can't give you any context to what they're talking about because they're just they're just playing leapfrog with conclusions, trying to fit a narrative that they've been sold on, that they've been emotionally attached to, but it's not really supported in scripture. You know, so it's that's why we try to bring the scriptures from a broad wealth all over the book to show you that it all lines up. It's all the same story. Like I said, at the beginning of the broadcast, it's the same message given to all the prophets. And it's just pieced out in different ways from different viewpoints, you know, different descriptions with, with slightly different details all of the same thematic event. It's beautiful. That's right, Sean. Yeah, and the prophet David here in Psalm 97, uh, verse 1 to 5, it says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and it burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of Yahweh, at the presence of Yahweh of the whole earth. So guys, as Sean had mentioned, Isaiah is completely loaded with Day of the Lord descriptions, but so is Psalms. Psalms like is one of the <laughs> Sean, I never knew this, man. When I started studying the Day of the Lord, and I and I often for many years put the, the Psalms aside. It was one of the last books I wanted to touch because to me, it, I was just taught it's all poetry. It's all poetry, you know? Yeah. And when I started to dig into it, it's like, are you kidding me? No, it's no, it's not. <laughs> There's just so much here in, in this book. It's amazing. And, you know, that's just a brief snapshot in uh, the 97th chapter that talks about, um, you know, this day of the Lord and what's going to be taking place. Um, yeah. And Isaiah 13, 9, 13. I'm going to read that real quick, Sean. Okay, sure. Yeah. Where it says, um, behold, the day of Yahweh is coming cruel with fire and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put on end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of Yahweh of hosts in the day of his burning anger. <laughs> that, I mean, man, that's powerful, brother. And, yeah. and here's the thing. It talks about the sun and the moon go dark. Sun and moon go so, dark. Absolutely. So just like, you know, we read Genesis one. We had the sun, moon and stars were put in the in the firmament. Right. And that suddenly we, we've seen Revelation 16, the star, excuse me, Revelation six. The stars are affected. And then yeah. now here in Isaiah 13, they won't flash uh, forth their light. Yeah. Verse 10. Yeah. The this, this sun and moon are affected. 
Now we also see that um, in other places. I think it's right. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, um, how the, the moon will not give her light. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that verse off the top of my head. I have to go look at it. I think it's Matthew 24, 32 or Somewhere something. Somewhere in 24. Yeah. The latter 24, 29. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, Isaiah is one of my favorite books, and um, and but what's interesting, it says every in verse seven, it says every man's heart will melt. I know you that was just a, a little bit before where you started reading, but everything you just described would make someone's heart melt if they saw this happening, be right? Terrifying. Because yeah. what what's going on here? Um, when we really think about it, Ken, what's happening is he is destroying the heliocentric model. Yeah, any so anything that goes that believe, into his yeah. biblical creation model it's if, if there's someone alive at this day when he returns and they still believe in the heliocentric model and all of its descriptions and they see this happening they're they're, they're gonna have like that's and that's enough to make some people freak out right we see that in, even in our modern day when we try to talk to them about it we see how people knee jerk and they get emotional and they're 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 like just they're having to deal with so much indoctrination so quick but if you thought that you lived on a ball in space and then suddenly someone turned the lights out and opened up the, the sunroof and you realized you're just in a big room, you don't think you would have a slight mental episode and your heart would melt with fear because you suddenly realized, whoa, all is real. It's all real. I'm on display. Isaiah 33, the Lord looks down at us from his throne. He can see us. Uh, this is the, everything. The Bible will talk about everything that people made fun of. It's real. Yeah, right. Yeah. We're in we're in the big grand room encapsulated by the firmament, the creation model. That's and why that's the mockery the, and the persecution and all that takes place that I'm sure many of you brothers and sisters out there who are hopefully still watching with us. Um, you may be going through that in your life, but it is just going to be so worth it for this yeah. day for us who believe this. Yeah, this is going to be an amazing, amazing day. In fact, um, and what's interesting, we're talking about shaking the heavens, because apparently this is not the first time when on the day of the Lord, it's not the first time this happens, right? Doesn't Hebrews say something about it? It does, yes. Uh, yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, Sean. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can start reading that there. Starting with verse 25, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven and his voice shook the earth then but now he is promised saying yet once more i will shake not only the earth but also the heaven this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> so just think about this wow. for one second in the, in the context of what you just read, talking about how once more he'll shake it again, we understand that's going to be a day of the Lord reference. And then he, then it refers it to of things that can be shaken. We're going to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Right. Yes. What are, and that, remember, that's the gospel of the kingdom of God. Am I not right, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. But as far as uh, um, what I'm what I'm trying to get to, though, is uh, so think about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then he ends it with a, with, you know, six little seven little words in verse 29 says, for our God's a consuming fire. What do we see in uh, Revelation 20 after Satan's released, gathers the nation, gathers the people as sand on the seashore to come up against the beloved city, which I would strongly make a case for is the new Jerusalem. 
and fire comes down from the firmament from heaven and destroys all of them. So they're coming against the kingdom to try to shake it, right? To try to overcome it, overthrow it. And our God's a consuming fire. <laughs> that he is. So like the writer of Hebrews, you know, it's just perfectly capsulated in this description here. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And it makes me wonder, when did he shake it the first time? Was it during the flood or was it uh, on Mount Sinai when it supposedly there was a big shaking? Um, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But hey, real quick, I want to read out of Isaiah 12. And then uh, I think unless you have, we'll just jump to some questions and answers unless you have anything else. No, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So in Isaiah 12, let me just go there real quick. Um, I, I think I said the wrong word. It's Isaiah 24. Yeah, Isaiah 24, 18. Yeah, let's go to Isaiah 24 if you're following along in your Bibles, guys. Um, the whole chapter, by the way, is about the day of the Lord. Just throwing that out there. I just, for time's sake, I just wanted to read a portion of it. Um, and this should be enough to make you to consider everything we're talking about tonight. It says, then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. I'm going to stop right there real quick, Ken. What windows above? What's going on? Well, we're informed, Sean, that there are windows in the firmament. That's right. Genesis 7-11, right? Yeah. And Enoch talks a lot about the different floodgates and portals and stuff like that that are in the firmaments. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's saying the windows above are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder in verse 19. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. It totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it. It will fall, never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. Now, this could be a whole nother show. So we'll just that's why I wanted to use this first last, just to kind of tease this out there. Yeah. But uh, I just want people to just take a moment and just think about this, this passage, verse 21. So it will happen in that day, we're talking about the day of the Lord, that the Lord will punish the host of heaven. The word host means armies, okay? will punish the, the host of heaven. The word heaven means firmament <laughs> on high and the kings of the earth on earth. So we're getting a description of two different things, two different elevations. So we'll, we'll just, we'll just, we'll tease that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, another time. Banger, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, so then lastly, verse 22, it says, um, or no, I mean, sorry, verse, uh, verse 22 yeah, says they'll be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And after many days they will be punished. And the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. That's another allusion to the sun and moon grow dark, as you just read in that previous verse, Ken. That's right. But the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So here we have, you know, uh, the, the like I said before, the whole chapter of Isaiah 24 is about the day of the Lord, but this it's kind of crescendoing in a course of events. And these last five or six verses is talking about the you know the moments of rounding up the wicked, punishing those who are fighting against him in Armageddon, um, and then you know how while it's happening, the whole earth is reeling to and fro like a drunkard. It's being split asunder. the The, the windows above are open. The earth is shaking. Right, it will fall never to rise again. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's just a massive cataclysmic solid day that all the prophets talk about. And for us to when you know all these descriptions you'll be able to see them super easy as you run through scripture even books that you may have thought were previously were boring like ezekiel or jeremiah you may run through them and you'd be like whoa look at that he's talking about it again you know and then you start to put all these descriptions together and like ken said earlier your eschatology 
it's easy. You don't have to, you don't have to read ridiculously long books. It's a cheat sheet, Sean. Yeah, it is. is. It's a cheat sheet. You don't need um, that big, you know, that one pastor has like that huge timeline behind him on his pulpit. That's like 15 feet long. You don't need one of those guys. Timeline. I'm not knocking timelines. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like, you don't need an eschatological chart showing the different dispensations of the, of how God deals with mankind because the majority of that is misunderstandings of all these passages going into the day of the Lord. Same thing with the pre-trib rapture concept, which because of, yeah, there's different components of the day of the Lord and we're going to get to those in future, future episodes. But, um, man, I, I gotta just, I have to stop myself. <laughs> I get so excited. I get I so excited because this is so much fun. And this is the message, like I said before, that the prophets were killed for. It's all of these components we're talking about is a part of the greater, bigger story, the gospel, the kingdom of God. And it was the return of Messiah with his kingdom. Right. And that's right. what you know, the disciples were arguing over when your kingdom comes, who's going to be the greatest. Can I be, can I sit next to you? And Jesus like, you don't know what you're asking about. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's just yeah. like, uh, it's just amazing um, that like I've said before, even John the Baptist is talking about it right before he talks about Jesus. He's introducing the concept of Jesus. John the Baptist starts talking, starts quoting Isaiah, talking about the day of the Lord, you know, and it's just um, there's so much here. And I hope that I hope that we are able to make it a little concise tonight because we're trying to cut it off, you know, around an hour instead of going real long like we did last week. But um, did you see any good questions in the comments section, Ken? Honestly, dude, I am not scanning that. Okay, (laughs) I am not scanning that. I, I saw someone quoting Isaiah 40, 22. Someone's talking about CERN. Um, uh, other people there. I don't really see any actual questions. Um, but, you know, and if, and if you do guys, if we didn't see, um, if you did ask a question and we didn't see it in the chat here, throw it in the comments and we can, we can uh, address those afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, instead of this live chat, if you just want to put it in the video comments, We'll try to get back here and address them to you um, specifically after the show. Because I'm scanning through this live chat and I really don't see any actual questions. So, but either way, um, hopefully that means that everything we're talking about was pretty concise. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't have questions, that means you're not understanding. That's what I used to hear from (laughs) teachers. Right, exactly. They want you to ask questions. Yeah. So cool. Um, So Ken, um, any final thoughts for this episode, man? <sighs> final thoughts. Well, Sean, honestly, um, the more you and I have these discussions surrounding the day of the Lord, the more it just excites me. And I want to share what I get excited about with others. And I want them to, to be, you know, thrilled with what Yahweh has, has done and what he's going to be doing. And, you know, understanding that um, really relies upon your ability to know what the day of the Lord is. And so I just pray that you guys that are, are watching um, are being edified by these discussions. Um, hopefully we're not offending too many people. Test things that we, we you know, are, are talking about here to the scriptures, be Bereans as, uh, as we're told to be. And um and yeah, guys, uh, it's it's a hard world out there. I know that we're dealing with a lot of corruption and darkness and alternative. Hello. Hello? Oh, Is did I get there? cut off there, buddy? Hello, Ken. I'm still here, Sean. I, I see you. 
Ken, are you still there? <laughs> I guess I'm having a, a glitch. Uh, I think, can you hear me now? I can hear you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't mean to interrupt you, just your, your audio cut out and I didn't know what was going on. Oh, did it? Okay. Well, I was just rambling on about how I love God's word and I want others to, to have the passion for understanding the David Lord as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the, I share that passion, brother. Um, so, uh, again, thank you to Adam for letting us come on here and do this. And, um, I mean, I think it's a, just an amazing treat to be able to talk about this topic, uh, to his audience and, um, just expound and expound because like we said earlier, you know, this topic is one that not only will it help you with your eschatology, knowing, you know, the timeline of events of things that are taking place, but it overall, it, in my opinion, it will help you with your hope. This world is is rough, guys. This world is not fair. <laughs> There's things that come at us that hurts, that uh, that sting our hearts, um, that destroy our you know our drive, right? That try to pull the rug out from under our joy in life. Um, now we that's know, from, was, Sean. That's what I was saying before I got lost in the static. Oh, really? I'm pretty much verbatim what you were just oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I, I couldn't hear you. No, so it's good. It's good because it's you know we need to encourage our brothers and sisters. Because we're we're all in this world. That's it's a hard. It can be a hard life. It really can be. Okay. Um, yeah, it it can be. And so to me, it's like if you don't know the end of the story, which is the hope, right? Which is your proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, and it's the light of your shoe returning through the firmament. <laughs> I mean, that's our light at the end of the tunnel. You know, uh, that's why every I will see him because he's going to be the only light in a big darkened room. Yeah, his return. So, it's the road um, to rescue, Sean. It is the road to rescue, and I'm I'm excited about it, guys. If you have not, um, if uh, if you have not been to our our channel, so this is uh, we actually do a weekly show on Saturday nights. It's called Kingdom in Context. Excuse me, the Kingdom in Context is the name of the channel. Honor of Kings is the name of the show that Ken and I host on Saturday nights, and we uh, we break down the apocryphal books, the extra biblical books. We go through them line by line to see. Uh, which which ones line up with the canon of 66 and which ones don't to see if there's a reason we can find that maybe that some were taken out that shouldn't have been um, and maybe some should have been taken out. So we're going through them line by line to see and match up the theological statements and the descriptions. And uh, we've just had a fun time doing that. We're already on like episode seven. We've been digging into the book of Enoch, finding so much amazing things. Um, and I'm not just being a cheerleader for it because I'm biased. Like we've been finding amazing things in in the book of Enoch. Uh, and I thought I knew the book of Enoch, right? And because I've been studying it for years and, and as Ken and I go through it each week, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, if you haven't seen us over there, you know, you're welcome to come over and check us out. This is, I'm just sharing real quick. This is my channel. It's called Kingdom of Context. And uh, we have a couple weekly shows that we do. So, um, but but Ken, more than anything, man, if you if you don't mind, brother, I would just like to um, I would just like to end with prayer, if possible. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to do this, to reach as many people as possible through this technology and this medium. Um, we thank you for the words that you've given us to express your truth to others. Um, as always, as I've prayed to you for years, we just continue to ask for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of your word and of this world so that we may relate your word to this world. Uh, it's just uh, it's how we're ambassadors for you. And I thank you for your spirit moving in us to give us the strength to do that each night as we express your scriptures um, on this show. And for everyone listening, that their hearts may be fertile seeds with the word that they've heard tonight. 
and it may grow into practical deeds of righteousness, that they may be directed towards the comfort from your spirit in case they're going through times of trouble, to know that you have not forgotten them, that you're, you're on your way. That's really what it boils down to. And there's, there's timing in all of it. And thank you for giving us through multiple people throughout m many millennia, you've given us the timing so that we can know and be prepared. And we just thank you how your word grows in our hearts and our minds and gives us strength and hope. I just want to, uh, I just hope, uh, Father, that you allow us to continue as long as possible on this type of platform, um, speaking your truth in spite of what the enemy may try to do, that you would just give us um, longevity so that we can we can just shout your, your truth from the rooftops as long as possible. Mm. We love you. We give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. I agree with everything you said. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay. Guys, thanks for joining us. Ken, we're signing off, bro. Okay, brother. Have a good night. <laughs> love you guys. Okay, guys. Uh, check us out next week. We'll see you next time, okay?